EMS World Expo is the largest EMS dedicated event in the world, and it's taking you places. And now we bring you stories from Expo. Hey everybody, Mike Verkast, Dr. Peter Antebi. We are back here at Stories from EMS World, EMS Garage, sponsored by EMS World. Great to see you again. You, Mike? I'm, Great to see you I'm too. so good though. It's been a great conference so far. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So you're, you're, I'm sure as usual, you're talking all the time and doing, you're moving and shaking. Uh, Hillary Gates, if you're listening, you got, you work me like a dog, but I loved every minute of it. Uh, we had people actually come at eight o'clock in the morning to talk about stroke. No kidding. We had people come at five in the afternoon to talk about pediatrics. So, and the rooms were full. So, I'm and everyone's paying attention and, paying and attention. it was great. The feedback has been great. So, yeah, that's yeah. so great. So we're going to talk about a couple things specifically, and 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna rewind six seven years ago. I went to my first resuscitation academy, and it was all about high performance CPR, mm -hmm. and it was great, right? Getting dis. I have to oh, stop. sorry. I think you're on mute. Where's your bottom hat? You were. Oh okay. gosh. <laughs> okay, you know what? That was that was a good practice. Oh, so you were hearing him through me, probably. Yeah. Ah, yeah. I didn't do that. <laughs> wait, should I? Should I? Should I? Wait, wait. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. gonna I'm gonna move this thing back down here. Hold on. Can you, uh, tell me where the unhook is. Well, he says it's okay, but it doesn't look all weird up here. Okay. All right, let's do it. Hey there, how are you? Good checking, to see you. Checking, checking, checking. Now he's blowing everybody up. <laughs> I can move it. Okay, cool. Okay, good. <clears throat> All right, so we're going to go way back in time, five, six, seven years ago. I did my first resuscitation academy up in Seattle, and it was awesome. Dispatcher, law enforcement, right? All those pieces yep. that we need. But there was something missing. Pediatrics. There was, there was no kids in it. That's right. And so can we do high-performance pit crew CPR for pediatrics? Because, oh, my gosh, isn't it all different? Oh, it's very different. Not. <laughs> so, so it turns out that the actual... Uh, protocol is exactly the same. Um, the actual kind of algorithm is exactly the same, but there are some nuances. So let's start with dispatch. Let's do that. It turns out that when you're a call taker and you hear a frantic mom on the phone, the emotional status of that dispatcher or the call taker is that they don't want to believe that little Johnny's in cardiac arrest. So they stay on the side of, let's, let's keep asking the question, are they still uh, okay. breathing? Uh -huh. Are you sure their lips are blue? And they go on and on. So they, they don't want to start is problem number one. Those that do start, they stop immediately. So I'll give you an example. We had a newborn, you know, a newly born child in cardiac arrest. They, they started CPR and the dad says, there's mucus flying out of his nose. And, my, and the call taker said, stop CPR, go get the blue bulb suction. Oh boy. Okay. And then CPR never continued from there. So what we've done in dispatch is we've said, no, no, go. But start CPR if there is not conscious and they're not breathing normally, that's go, right? And then don't stop once you start. Okay. That, that, that's an emotional thing that will never be written in a book. So that's dispatch. Now let's move into EMS. When you go on the adult's cardiac arrest yep. and you're en route to a 65-year-old, you would agree that you know what size, you're gonna, what size eye gel or ET tube, Absolutely. epi, amiodarone, yeah. and joules for defibrillation. Absolutely. You know that right when the tones go off, yes? Okay. No question. Right. So now in pediatrics, we, we've, we've added this pre-arrival discussion where we talk about the eye gel size or the ET tube size. 
we talk about the epidose, and we talk about the jewels. So that, that pre-arrival discussion has to happen, and you have to know the dose before you get there. That one little step allows you to walk into the house, frantic mom, but now you're looking calm, you're looking them right in the eyes. So if you, if you can't make eye contact, it's a problem. And then you're telling the parent, I know you're nervous, I know you want to leave. This is what we're doing for your child, we're breathing for them, we're pushing on their chest, we're going to try and get them back to life, I need five minutes, is that okay? Stay right here, I'll be your point of contact, my team is working diligently, we're going to leave here in a few minutes. Stick right next to me. So I just added in a couple extra things to make it more like adult care, yeah. and now the outcomes should be more like adult care. So good. It's easy. Yeah, it's so good. And so you've started that in your shop, right? We start not, not only in our shop, but uh, all the agencies now who are kind of using our, adopting our model, our model of thought, if you will. Yeah. Um, and Paul Banerjee and Dr. Paul Pepe have mm -hmm. been using it since 2014, and they just published a resuscitation. And you saw the outcomes went from zero to 23% neurointax survival, then to 35% neurointax survival. Um, and they published that data to prove to the world that kids can be treated like adults. I'll tell you, a few years ago, that was like sacrilegious to say yeah, that, right? That's right. I had a big right. bullseye on me. Yeah, you did. Now we're saving lots of lives. It's fun. So amazing. Yeah. So, so let's talk about when the resuscitation is not successful, right? Yeah. That is, um, I mean, it happens, right? It's, yeah. it's just one of those things. And I will tell you that from my perspective, we are ill-prepared to have the discussion. It's, it's, it's awkward enough and hard enough when it's the 70-year-old, right? Yeah. Some people handle it better than others. I, I always felt like I had a, I, I didn't like it, but I knew I could, that I could do that. that was, right. I felt like I could do that. But now turn it into a two-year-old. Right. Eh, right. It's not good. So, so this is a fa fascinating topic, and I'm glad you brought it up, because the concept that we should think about is called closure. There's a few people who need closure after a call, either good or bad call, but let's go with the bad call. You, as the, as the field provider, the EMS professional, need to know that you did everything you could for that child. So when you put your head on the pillow that night and you go to bed, you, you're, you're telling yourself, self, I did everything that I could. If you can tell yourself that, then you'll never get to closure. Now, here's the problem with not getting to closure. If you don't feel comfortable with what you did, how are you going to turn to the mom or dad, look them in the eye, and help get them to closure? So now, we, now let's talk about this concept of bereavement. Child has passed away. As a parent, everyone goes away when your child dies. Your marriage breaks up, nobody writes and nobody calls, and now you're left with a whole psychiatric kind of array of illnesses that are going to come at you. It turns out that if on the scene someone puts a hand on your shoulder and says, hang with me, we're trying our best, I'm so sorry, I know this is difficult. If someone in the emergency department, while the recess was going on, put their hand on the shoulder and says, I'm here with you, we're, we're, we're hoping everything's gonna work out okay. If someone, um, after the child passes away, sits down and says, I was on the scene with you, I wanna let you know what we did for your child. Just like every cardiac arrest person, and I know you had, you had someone on here earlier, after they have their cardiac arrest and they come back to life, what's the first thing they want to know? I want to know everything that happened to me, and I want you to tell me. Well, the parents want to know that you are a skilled provider, and you gave their, their, their little child every chance to survive. Now, two days later, 
shouldn't we call? Shouldn't EMS call and say, hey, this is Chief, you know, X, Y, or Z. I'm calling. I was in the ER the other day. I'm calling to follow up on you. Uh, by the way, please let us know when the funeral is. We, we, we want to come and, you know, pay our respects. So we've now created in Palm Beach County a almost a checklist of sorts. And we send other people in because not everyone has that skill set. Yeah. We have Lauren Young, who's a social worker, mm. who comes to the emergency department, who calls two days later. We go to the funeral. What about at the birthday, sending a card? So there's a paper that just came out in, uh, in a very pre prestigious journal. And I, um, you know, I was fascinated by it because the parents, everything I just told you, the parents, That's what they, it was in the article, it was in quotes. It was an ICU study, but they said, after my child dies, can someone walk me to my car? Can someone pay the garage bill, the parking bill? Can someone walk me to the morgue and let me know, what do I do in the morgue? Can you put a room in the morgue that I can actually sit down with my, with my child and, and, and grieve? So I wrote a little write-up for EMS World coming out in December where I'm really going to try and change the tone for the country, letting everyone know that in EMS, we cannot pass that off to the hospital. Because guess what? They don't do it in the hospital. Well, I should say, many hospitals don't do it, and those that do may not be doing it well enough. So um, I'm, I'm hoping that we're understanding that we, we treat people, not diseases. And when the outcomes aren't good, it's not our fault, and we ought to come closer to people rather than going further away from them. Yeah. Well, that's incredible. So, so let's go back to that social worker for a sec, because I'm, I'm curious about that. So, so that family essentially gets sort of handed off, right? And, yeah. and is there a, do they stay with them for a prescribed amount of time? Do they just do periodic check-ins? Like what, how, how does that work? Because I'm fascinated by that. I'll give you a great example. Baby Stella, like we, we can say her name because we have permission. She had a cardiac arrest, two year, actually 10 month old girl, cardiac arrest. Uh, we get on scene, we get pulses back. Um, she's in the hospital, she's in a coma, not waking up. Uh, we could have just said, you know what, God, God bless. And yeah. so, but we didn't. Uh, we, we went and visited her. When I say we, uh, one of my EMS captains, Alex Duran, went to visit in a coma still. He could have easily said, you know what, I never want to see these people again. He went back again. Months go by and she's not coming around. Well, what do you know, at the 10 month mark, we get a phone call that come and visit baby Stella, she's going home. And we said, come and visit baby Stella. And we had, we had a reunion, baby Stella is perfectly normal. But here's the most incredible part, it still gives me the chills. Yeah. Um, you know, our EMS captain, Alex, he went every single month. And so when that mom, at the end, when we had the reunion, she said, that guy was here for me the whole way through. So. I would say to answer your question is, you have to at least have the early part, for sure. the two days, the two week, yeah. the month, yeah. and then, but at the six month or the year mark, um, check in. Remember, this is, this is very difficult emotionally on the person doing it as well, of course. but I would propose that every EMS agency in this country, and I'm going to give uh, some credit here to, uh, to uh, Alex Jabber from San Bernardino. Um, she heard me give a talk. They went and created a protocol. Hmm. They created a checklist. She sent it to me. So I'm going to use my R&D budget. R&D technique. Rip off and duplicate. Yep, that's right. With her permission and give her total credit um, to send it to everybody and say, hey, this is what people are doing and it's helping us as, as EMS professionals and it's helping the parents. 
and it's helping our community. So, so this article is coming out in EMS World in December. In December, awesome. Yeah. I look forward to hearing that. Any last or final thoughts before we get on out of here? Um, I just think that to all the people listening who are in EMS, who are the people on the front line, like I say that uh, there's people like me who are the medical director, who I consider myself who have the easiest and the best job in the world. But for all the people out there who are actually doing the work, who are seeing the the, the guts and who are you know seeing the worst of the worst, make sure that you. Um, understand that PTSD or PTSI mm -hmm. is part of the profession. It's not a, you know, you may or you may not, it's you will. And after my Parkland experience, um, I, I've, I've had to get therapy. And um, I realized how difficult the job is that you guys do on a day-to-day -day basis. So uh, from the bottom of my heart, I thank all the people who actually do the hard work. Uh, the doctor has the easy job. And so uh, we, we often get a lot of the credit, uh, which shouldn't be the case. So um, EMS World is something that's uh, near and dear to me. I think they do a great job here. And I just love kind of meeting the people who do the real work like that's yourself. So so thank yeah. you. Awesome. Peter, thank you again. Yeah. It's been awesome, awesome. to uh, get to talk to you. And, As you and, do. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just been great. So that is it from Stories from EMS World, from EMS Garage, and sponsored by EMS World, Mike Verkest, Dr. Peter Antetti. You guys have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon.